plan to uh, uh, spend some time on some resolves for the new year. And uh, next week we'll not be able to uh, hit on this topic, or, uh, as, but uh, since we have our annual business meeting. But uh, we'll continue when I get back. And, um, you know, the glow of my suntan and everything will uh, make you... Uh, uh, jealous. Anyway, resolves for the new year. Uh, today we want to continue talking about <clears throat> some resolves uh, for this year. At, we began last Sunday. Four themes I began and will continue to emphasize over the next several weeks. Uh, uh, number one was last week talked about revival, that we would see the Lord stir a flame of spiritual revival in our church. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Uh, We'll talk a little bit about revival this afternoon, but mostly we'll be talking about renewal having a passion for holiness and sanctification. We'll get to that in a little bit. But then the other, uh, one of the other uh, topics will be reaching. Reaching of the unsaved by sharing the gospel and showing them the love and compassion of Christ. Uh, if you go to John chapter 4, and it's been a while since our study of John chapter 4, but you remember it's the story about the Samaritan woman uh, and uh, how the, Jesus was going to give living water, uh, water uh, that uh, would uh, be able to give them uh, new life in Christ. And then there's also uh, subjects of sowing and reaping there in that passage as well. And then we want to talk about restoration, uh, ministering the grace of Christ to others. Galatians 6.1 talks about restoring those who have been overtaken in a fault uh, with a spirit of meekness. Uh, but today we want to look at renewal. And Before we get to the text that we want to look at this afternoon, I want to just give you this text from the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Notice that new creature. And old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Uh, And uh, I don't know how many of you have been involved in a remodeling project. I know some of you have, and some of you, that's your kind of your work, but uh, uh, that's your home, uh, or that's your business. But if you've been involved in a remodeling uh, venture at your home, or in a business, or here at the church, uh, you kind of, uh, kind of understand a little bit what we're talking about here. Um, uh, my son has done a tremendous job of updating, this is not the house he bought, but uh, he uh, bought a house, and he's been, over the last several years, fixing up. He bought it at a very low price, and uh, it was much better than this one, and much, much better. It was actually a four-bedroom uh, um, ranch-style house, brick home that uh, uh, had a uh, formerly a beauty salon at one end and a two-car garage and, a, you know, just all kinds of stuff. But it was, in, it was getting in disrepair, was not up-to-date, and so forth, and so there was a lot of knocking out walls and taking out the floor and, and just rebuilding. And um, he did not get that talent, his ability for that, from me. Um, my dad was a good fixer-upper, uh, carpenter. 
So this ability that my son has uh, actually skipped a generation. And uh, he, he's done some marvelous things with his home. Uh, when I was a teenager, and that's why I'm going to reference this home, even though this is not the home I'm going to talk about, but when I was a teenager, our youth sponsor had an old farmhouse he wanted to tear down because he wanted to build a new home in its place. And um, so the boys in the youth group became his cheap labor, and uh, we had at it. You know, We took uh, crowbars and uh, sledgehammers and all that. We didn't have a backhoe or anything to tear it all down at one time. We took it down board by board and uh, knocked all the plaster out of the old farmhouse walls and everything. And, and that was, I had a skill in that. I, that's, that's just down my, uh, you know, uh, my area, destroying something, <laughs> you know. Uh, but uh, we did it with great enthusiasm. Thankfully, we didn't have to rebuild it. He had more skilled people to do that when he rebuilt his home there. But here, when we go to Nehemiah, and now we're going to spend a little time in Nehemiah this afternoon. Nehemiah uh, had a wall to get up. He had to build a wall. Uh, and he did it in 52 days. Uh, 52 days. In chapter 7 of Nehemiah, he lists all the people he gave the various jobs that were needed doing uh, in the city once the walls were complete, and uh, he had men to guard the gates. He had some to open and close them at appropriate times. He had musicians and Levites to serve in the temple. He had soldiers and guards for the walls in the citadel. And at this point, you might wonder, well, why are we talking about rebuilding a wall here? Uh, Well, because this wall was already up at this point in Nehemiah 7. It was already finished. The city was well-ordered, well-governed, well-defended. The people had homes. So end of story, right? No. You see, in spite of all this job of, uh, that was, uh, there was a job that was not done because there was a spiritual vacuum in that city. At this point, God helped Nehemiah to realize the job he came to do wasn't really about the wall. It was about the people. The people themselves. Uh, You see, the Hebrew people were called a unique nation. Uh, They were to be God's witness to the world, and they weren't anywhere near being ready for that. Now, if you read the entire book of Nehemiah, you're going to see it's divided into two sections. It's been some time. We also uh, have uh, studied this book here uh, during my time as pastor. And uh, so just kind of a review there. The first six chapters deal with rebuilding the wall. That's what the first six chapters are all about. The second six chapters, chapters 7 through 12, uh, talk about rebuilding the people, preparing them for their God-given mission. And here's another thing you may have noted. The first six chapters uh, are written in the first person. But then in chapter 7, we come to chapter 7, and it changes to third person. Uh, Nehemiah's first person narration, he's talking and he's telling the story in the first uh, uh, six uh, chapters, but then it changes in chapter seven here to the third person. And the reason for this change is that in the second half of this book, uh, it's not going to be about Nehemiah, but it's going to be more about Ezra. And Nehemiah was still involved. He was still wise enough 
a leader to know that Ezra, though, was more skilled at rebuilding people than, than he was. He could build walls. He could be the contractor to tell people what to do and where to be and get people uh, in line, get the materials and all that. He, he was good at that. But he, wasn't, he didn't feel like it was his skill to build people. And so here's where Ezra is going to step in. And Ezra is going to be the one who's going to uh, deal with the people. And so remember, Ezra came to Jerusalem 14 years before Nehemiah did. Uh, Ezra was, uh, has led in the reconstruction of the temple. He was a priest. Uh, so he was the perfect man to really finish the job, so to speak, and deal with the people. The perfect man to lead the people in a spiritual renewal or revival they would need in order for them to mature to the point that God could use them. Now, this is a great chapter for us to study because all Christians need a time of revival and renewal. Uh, It was the famous evangelist uh, Billy Sunday was once asked if revivals lasted, and he replied, no, neither does a bath. So it's good to have one occasionally. Well, we need to take our Bibles here and turn to Nehemiah chapter 8. Nehemiah chapter 8. I believe in these verses for a few minutes here this afternoon, we'll see uh, that for the times of revival, the times of renewal, we all need to come to, or there are four things that have to happen. Didn't give you Billy Sunday there, did I? It's good to have a bath on occasion, right? Okay. But first of all, the first thing we need to sing, see is the people of God must be unified. The people of God must be unified. Look at chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both men and women, and that all could hear with understanding upon the first day of the seventh month. Here you have a city uh, full of people. It was, it was town people, city folk, as well as country folk. It wasn't just uh, one type of people. It was all the people. Uh, you could say there were white-collar workers and blue-collar workers at this gathering. Uh, Men in three-piece suits carrying iPads and men carrying pitchforks. Um, They were educated and they were uneducated. They were young, they were old. Uh, They were men and there were women. There were older people and there were younger people. Uh, These were Jews brought back from the captivity whose origin was no doubt all over the promised land. And so they they were different in several ways but they all came together as one. And perhaps because of the things they learned in exile, they, and by worshiping the, uh, in a rebuilt temple and by being part of a miraculous restoration of the walls around Jerusalem, here we have the people's eyes had been opened and they saw anew their need for God. Uh, they got to the point where they yearned, they desired a revival of their relationship with the Heavenly Father. And so they gathered at the water gate. 
thousands and thousands of them, even children who were old enough to understand. Now that reminds me of a revival, uh, of a, a renewal, where people will of a local church come together and uh, we would say we are different in many ways. And I think even this afternoon, we'd say, well, we're not all the same. We all have different interests. We have different things that we're, uh, we do and different ways that we do them. But we come together in one, and that's how we need to come together in revival. Uh, we need to be all made right with God. We confess our sins. We want God to use us. Let me put it this way. A church... A family cannot be rebuilt, cannot have revival and renewal if it doesn't act like a family. That is, having love one for another like a family. As Paul put it, it is that love that binds us together like the ligaments bind a body together. Without unity, revival cannot come. You know, many times churches settle for uniformity instead of unity. And uniformity, when we look the same, we like the same things, uh, it's kind of like a country club. Well, not really. I don't think we see ourselves as a country club. But sadly, there are many churches that are like that. They settle for uniformity. And churches, you know, often are segregated. They're segregated sometimes by race, others by financial status. There's wealthy churches, there's poor churches. Uh, there's segregation by age sometimes. A new church tends to uh, have mostly young people. Uh, a well-established church has a higher percentage of older members. Well, that's not biblical unity. That's uniformity if we're segregated by that, those kind of things. Unity is when we're different, but we're still one. We've got uh, different... Groups of people, we've got different people from different backgrounds. We have some people live in town, some live out in the country. Uh, and we're all different, but we come together as one. We look different, we act different, we like different things, but we come together as one. Kind of together as a diverse group with one thing in common, the most important thing, a mutual awareness that we're all fallen sinners and we need God's grace. Unity is when we gather in our differences because of what Jesus does in us, and unity was when diverse people gather to be conformed to the image of the Lord. That's the essence of revival or renewal, and Christians coming together, committing to become more like Christ. It's the second thing that's required for revival or spiritual renewal to come, and that is the Word of God must be respected. Now, verse 1 and 2, we've already read here that uh, we have them asking for Ezra to bring the book. In verse 5, it says, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. When they came together at the water gate, this group of diverse yet unified Hebrews asked Ezra to bring out the book of the law of Moses and to read it to them. And I don't, I don't want you to miss what I, I've said here. The request for the word of God came from who? The people. 
It wasn't Nehemiah's idea. It wasn't Ezra's idea. It was the people's idea. Remember, it had been 140 years since the Hebrews had read from God's book. Uh, They were truly spiritually hungry. They were famished to hear the word of God. This hunger for the word of God had been prophesied many, many years ago. In Amos chapter 8, verse 11 and 12, it says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will send a famine in the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst of water, but of hearing the words of the Lord, and they shall wander from sea to sea and from the north even to the east, and they shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord and shall not find it. So this hunger, this famine of God's word had been prophesied. And because of their sin, the Hebrews hadn't heard much from God in a long time, and they were ready, they were eager even to listen. So a large platform was built next to the wall near the water gate, and I can imagine they did this maybe even for acoustical uh, benefits to have a backdrop of the wall. And I'm sure the height of the pulpit they built uh, uh, and read from uh, helped that uh, as well. The idea was that everyone wanted to hear And everyone wanted to see because they were all hungry to hear the word of God. Hungry to hear from his written word. And they didn't just sit on the edge of their seats, did they? They stood. They stood as Ezra began to read, and that's what he did. He read the entire book of the law. Now, that wasn't done in a day. But we see the Hebrews' respect for the word because they didn't just stand for a few minutes, uh, you know, long enough to hear the typical or sermon text. You know, and and I know some preachers do this, some evangelists do that. They say, uh, would you all stand out of respect for the word of God? I have nothing against that. But here these people are going to stand for five or six hours. Uh, They didn't just stand for a short time. They stood the whole time. The entire revival meeting. And it was a long one. It was six days. Ezra started reading and teaching early in the morning and continued through midday. Which means the people stood and listened for five or six hours and continued on for an entire week. I was thinking about saying at this time, At this point, well, from now on, we're going to stand for our entire service, huh? Anybody for that? You probably run me out. Because you can't even stand up yourself, preacher. I wouldn't have made it very good there. (laughs) Uh, And I don't know what people who had back problems in those days did, but uh, somehow they stood for an entire revival meeting. I mean, now... I've lowered myself from the pulpit area here, but generally, I, and I can still see most of you, okay? And uh, most of you can see me, if you turn your head a little bit or look around somebody. But uh, sometimes I can hear you, too. Uh, sometimes people snort. No. I, or sometimes people are talking while I'm preaching. And I can tell when people are not attentive. Uh, to the preaching. I, I don't want to make anyone feel guilty or anything, but just wanted you to know, I can see you. And it's a great when people are speaking, uh, that you're speaking to, are listening. And I'm glad to, uh, that uh, for the most part, 
I can tell people are listening. Now, it may be going in one ear and out the other, but still, we're listening, right? Uh, and uh, there's, I haven't really ever seen a glow from uh, the uh, smartphones, uh, you know, checking emails and that type of thing. Uh, I haven't seen a lot of fidgeting, yawning, occasional yawn maybe, occasional nodding off, but really very few blank expressions indicating there's going a lot of daydreaming going on. Um, so people here are listening attentively. That's what we should do. Because we should know, as they knew, that hearing God's word is important. Their actions showed they respected it as such. Listen, for us to experience the kind of renewed, a renewal experience that was experienced by the Jews, we need to have a respect for God's word. We need to have a respect for God's teachings. It must be our conviction. And, and this is just not any book that we're, we're reading, and this is not any book that I'm teaching out of. This is God's book. And we must obey the commandment in 1 Timothy 4.13, where it says, we are to give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Now, when we think about that, we should give attendance to reading, that we think about, well, I have my devotions every day. That's not all it's talking about. We need to have our quiet time, our devotions. We need to read the Bible. We need to give attendance to that, but also to the exhortation of it and to the teaching of it, the doctrine. And uh, we need to give attention to public reading and preaching of God's Word. By the way, you cannot do that if you're not here. But you're here, and I trust you're listening. Now, we must believe that Paul told young Timothy, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's from God. It originated from God, and we ought to pay attention to it. Now, today, there are schools, a multitude of schools and colleges like Harvard and Yale, which were founded unmistakably with the goals of academic excellence and Christian formation. The Bible was respected and taught in the classrooms. And yet today, they do something very different in those institutions. They're different from their founding purpose. What happened to these schools, and what's happened to many churches, not only around our country, but in our own community, what's happened to many churches is what we would call a mission drift. They've drifted away from their mission, their purpose, and to prevent us as individuals, even as a church, from suffering from mission trip, uh, drift, we need to the anchor of the Word of God. And we must have a respect for it and give, it our, li- give our lives uh, to it, uh, to its teachings. Let me ask you, do you do that? Is the Bible an anchor for your life? Do you respect the Bible? Is it your source of authority for your life? Do you seek out and heed its word? Do you look for the answers to your problems from God's word? That leads us to a third requirement, and that is the word of God must be understood. You see, it's not enough just to listen or hear and revere the Bible. We need to study it, 
and it needs to be taught. As Paul told Timothy, it must be taught correctly. It must be rightly divided. I mean, the Bible is not a magic book that changes people, some kind of magical thing that happens, changes their circumstances by just reading it or reciting it. No, the power of the book lies in understanding it. What does it mean? And that's one of the reasons that Ezra's revival took six hours a day for a week. Ezra and the priests, they took time to, uh, to stop and explain the reading to the people of Israel. You look down at verse 7 and 8. And it says there that Ezra and his Levitical assistants caused the people to understand the law and the people stood in their place. So they read the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. I get the picture here of a revival meeting again. It's a, it's a big revival meeting. And however you picture it, maybe it's a revival meeting, maybe it's a, it's a Sunday school, or maybe it's a vacation Bible school, or whatever picture you have in mind, the people needed this instruction because, remember, these people were Jews by birth, but not by tongue or culture. They had been born and raised in Babylon. So when they came to Jerusalem, they brought with them a Chaldean mentality and lifestyle. And then the words read to them were in Hebrew, and they spoke a dialect of Hebrew called Aramaic, so that these trained scribes took the Hebrew text and made it meaningful to the ears of the listeners. They gave their audience an in-depth meaning of the words and the passages so they understood what was being read. And when the people understood the law, they were able to see how far they had drifted from it. Understanding this part of the Bible helped them to see their sin, and they responded by weeping. You know, sometimes before we can rebuild our lives, we must first be broken. God has to demolish us before he can rebuild us. Many times we have to be pushed to tears before we can renew our relationship with the Lord. Well, real Bible study does that. It shows our sins and our shortcomings if we're willing to listen and receive it. It helps us to see our need for confession and forgiveness if we're willing to respond to it. And this is what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5 when he wrote about even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. The fact is that we, when we understand the Bible, we wash the sin out of our lives. And we wash enough out to understand ourselves. And the Bible washes away the self-righteous attitude so that we can see our sin as sin. I once read of a college student who had a job as a janitor in a hospital. At night he would rush through his duties and then he would sneak into the storage room and study for two or three hours. Kind of a nice little job, right? Well, he always got his work done. But the quality of his work wasn't anything to brag about. And one day he was reading Colossians 3.23 where it says, And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. The Holy Spirit used that verse to help him understand that with his work habit, he was not only cheating his employer, the hospital, but he was sinning against God. And so he made a change. 
he began to give all his labors to God. And that's the way it is with Scripture. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. There's one final thing we see here that has to happen for spiritual renewal to come, and that is the word of God must be obeyed. As the people heard, they understood the book of the law that day. They learned about the Feast of the Tabernacles. We see that in verses 13 through 18. And this was a feast that God had commanded the Jews to celebrate annually, in which the people lived in shelters made of branches, and they built them on the flat roofs of their houses. And so this is a time really of, number one, looking back, and remembering the nation's 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and when the people were homeless and they lived in those temporary shelters, but it was also a time of looking around at the harvest of blessing from the hand of God, and from their rooftop shelters they could see the Lord had given them a good land, and they were never to forget the giver as they enjoyed the gifts. But the Feast of Tabernacles was also an occasion to look ahead. Look ahead to the glorious kingdom of God promised his people. It was a week-long festival of joyful praise and thanksgiving, focusing on the goodness of God. You see, when they read and understood this feast from the book of the law, they obeyed God. They celebrated it joyfully. They went out into the countryside. They gathered branches and built these temporary shelters throughout the city. And I have often wondered what Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem thought. If you know anything about those guys, they were not uh, quite with the program, but they said, you know, they must have thought, well, they built this amazing wall, and now they're building these little rickety shelters. These people have been in the sun too long. Well, in any case, this reminds us it's not enough to hear the word of God. We must also obey it. What it tells us to do. This is what Jesus was talking about in John chapter 13 and verse 17. When he said, if you know these things, happy are ye that do them. Uh, James chapter 1 and verse 22 says, but be ye hearers, uh, doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know, we can fool ourselves when we assume that we just, just because we heard or we read or studied a little biblical text, will have internalized the truth. We would have made it our own. You know, you can read the Bible every day and not even think about what you read. You can just read it because you say, I'm going to read the Bible every day and I'm going to do, and do my duty. There, I've done it. I've read for five minutes, 15 minutes. I've read for a half hour. I've read a chapter, two chapters. And then we shut the Bible and we never even think about what we read. We can come to church and we can hear uh, the Word of God preached. And, and we, again, like I say, it can go in one ear and out the other. And we never internalize it. But if we're going to have renewal, it comes from the Bible. We must obey what the Bible says. We must live it out. It's teachings that can be hard in our culture that we live in. 
I'm reminded of a story from the American frontier days when there was a settlement in the West whose citizens were engaged in uh, lumber business. Anybody here engaged in the... No, never mind. These people were in the lumber business. Uh, But this town felt they wanted a church. And so they built a building. Well, you have a church, you've got to have a preacher. So they called a preacher. Well, the preacher moved into the settlement. Initially, everything was, went well. Uh, but then one afternoon, the preacher happened to see some of his congregation dragging some of the logs which were being floated down the river. Now, that's one thing you guys don't have to do here. Uh, but uh, they were floating these logs down the river, or somebody was. And these people in this community were pulling the logs out. And the logs had been stamped by the owner on the end. Well, the preacher saw them cutting the end off and then taking the logs for themselves. So he prepared a message with a strong commandment on thou shalt not steal. At the close of the service, his people lined up and they said, man, that was a great message, preacher. Wonderful message. Mighty fine preaching. Keep up the good work. Well, that wasn't exactly the response he expected. So he went home and he prepared another sermon on the, for the following Sunday. And he preached on the same text, but he gave it a different ending. He said, yes, thou shalt not steal, but thou shalt also not cut off the end of the neighbor's logs. Well, when he got through, the congregation ran it out of town. They understood the Bible, but they didn't want to obey it. They understood it, but they did not want to obey it. How many times has that happened in our lives? And so for spiritual revival and renewal, the people of God must be unified. The word of God must be respected. The word of God must be understood. And the word of God must be obeyed. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Even as we close our service.